following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. So, 2019, start of a new year. And I'm sure that uh, if you, anything like lots of people, that at the start of a new year, you start to set goals and objectives and figure out what your year's going to look like and what some of your goals are going to be like and what you're going to do this year, what you're going to accomplish. And no doubt that might be at home or at work or whatever uh, you may be thinking about. Uh, and I'm sure there'll be spiritual goals that you'll set as well, things that you want to achieve in your spiritual life and things that you will want to see develop over this year in your Christian life. And one of the common goals that said, as far as spiritual goals are concerned at this time of the year, is people say, well, I'm going to read the Bible from cover to cover this year. And so they start off all energetic, 1st of January, and they're going to read the Bible throughout the entire year. And the reality is, when you start reading the Bible, you get into Genesis, and it's actually pretty interesting. It goes really well for most people, and they get into Genesis. And if you're reading through the Bible this year, you're probably in the, in the latter uh, half of Genesis at the moment, and things are probably going pretty okay reading through Genesis. Then you get into Exodus. And in Exodus, you start to see what is taking place in terms of the, uh, the nation of Israel heading out uh, from Egypt. And then they start to talk about what's going on with the, uh, the building of the tabernacle. And then you get into that wonderful book of Leviticus. And that's when lots of reading plans actually just hit the wall. Because you get to that point in Leviticus of all these rules and regulations and all these things that are taking place. And to be perfectly honest, that the, the joy and the pleasure that was there in Genesis now probably is starting to turn to a bit of drudgery, if you're honest, when you get to the book of Leviticus. I won't get you to pull up your hand if you've had that experience, but I'm sure some of you have had that experience, because I know I have found that same sort of thing as well. And the reality is that a lot of us crash and burn when we get to the book of Leviticus. Because we see the book of Leviticus as simply a book of rules. And if we're honest, we can't really see what the importance of sacrifices is. We can't really understand why anyone will want to read anything in Leviticus. And let's face it, surely it has zero value to us today as Christians because it's all about Old Testament things you can eat and not eat and wear and not wear and all these sorts of things. But today what I want to do is I actually want to spend a little bit of time in Leviticus and specifically I want to look at Leviticus chapter 19 because I think that the book of Leviticus actually does have relevance to us today and I think it's important that we at least have a bit of a big picture understanding in terms of what is going on in the book of Leviticus. And what I'm going to suggest that we do is think about it from the point of view of um, a big picture as far as that's concerned. I think about my, uh, my boys, they've got, a, they've got a drone. And with their drone, they can take it up higher and higher ground, and you get a bigger and bigger viewpoint in terms of what they can see and what's going on. So when we think about Leviticus, I'm not going to want you to focus in on all the individual details and everything that's going on, all the little rules and regulations. But what I'm going to hope that you see is a bigger picture, like that, that high drone viewpoint, where we can see the bigger picture of what is going on as far as the people are concerned and as far as God is concerned, and really understand exactly what is going on there. 
And I think that if we do it from that point of view, there's a number of things that we will be able to understand. Because the reality is Leviticus can be difficult for us to understand. If you think about it, there's lots of things about Leviticus that are just so different than what we experience today. You think about it in that. Firstly, there's the cultural context. We live in houses, we drive cars. The reality is, the nation of Israel at that time, they lived in tents and they walked around the desert. We go to a building like this where we worship God. They built a temple or a tabernacle, an ornate place where they could worship God. We sing songs with a band to accompany us and we have opportunity to pray. They brought animals along and they sacrificed to God. So you can see it's a very different context that that particular nation within to to our own. And I think for us it's often difficult for us to see what is going on there. But what I want us to focus on is upon the larger picture of what is happening and try and understand what is important there. And I think as we think about this, we need to understand that... um, When we start to read through these things, a lot of the challenges is that these things that are in Leviticus are laws. They're specific laws about how people were and weren't to live. And the reality is, I don't know if we've got any lawyers in the house today, but, you know, lawyers may enjoy reading law and and reading through all the ins and outs as far as law is concerned. But most of us, we like a good story, but most of us will not get up in the morning and pull out legal statutes and laws and read them because we find it a little bit boring and a little bit uninteresting. And that's the reality of the way that we often view the book of Leviticus. And then secondly, we also think about the fact that, well, as Christians, we're not under the law anymore. Why would we even bother looking at the law? Because we know that we are Christians, that we're saved by grace. So therefore, why is the law even important to us? But one of the big picture things that comes out in Leviticus, and again, if we were to take that big picture viewpoint, Leviticus is essentially focused on the fact that God is a holy God and that he desires us as sinful people to live holy lives. And in a nutshell, that was the message that he was trying to portray to the people of Israel at that particular time. He was saying, as God, I am holy And he wanted his people, the Israelites, to live holy lives as well. And that's why he spent time giving them laws and regulations how they were to live, so that they could be holy as they came into the presence of a holy God. And that's really what is going on here. So if we were to look at the book of Leviticus, it's located in the book called the Pentateuch. Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible. Got a bit of a a diagram up there. And so we look at Genesis, which talks about beginnings. We look at Exodus, which is the Exodus of the people out of Egypt into the wilderness where they wander around. And then we have at Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments are given. And then after that, we have Leviticus where these rules and regulations are given. And it provides a context in terms of how the people were to, to live. And then if we were to carry on the Pentateuch in Numbers, it talks about the number of the people. And eventually Deuteronomy, before they enter the Promised Land, we see the fact that the law is in effect re-given before they enter into the land there. And that's the big picture of what's going on as far as that's concerned. But really, Leviticus is concerned with the fact that there's a holy people belonging to a holy God and that he wants them to live in such a way, both in their private lives and in corporate lives, that are going to honour him in all that he does. 
So these particular laws and things are important that we understand exactly what is going on. So what I'm not going to ask you to do today is go home and put into practice the 613 laws that they say are in the Old Testament and that you need to obey all of them. That's not what we're about as Christians today. And that's what was um, one of the concerns that the Israelites had is they had all these particular laws that they had to follow. But what I am going to say is that eight times in the Bible, God says to his people, be holy because I am holy. Six of those eight times are here in the book of Leviticus and the other two times are in the New Testament in 1 Peter and they refer back to the book of Leviticus. The reality is that God sees holiness as being important. And time and time again in the New Testament, we see the fact that God talks about various parts of Leviticus and talks about all that is going on in Leviticus because it is important to us. And we need to see that it is important. So let's have a, look, have a quick look at it. So firstly, um, can we look at the next slide up there? Uh, so that, that's just a bit of an overview in terms of where we came from. So they were in Egypt, they moved into the desert in Sinai, and eventually they would enter into the, into the Promised Land of Canaan. And the next slide is um, what we're going to look at firstly is we're going to look through at Leviticus chapter 9, and I'm going to read the first eight verses to you. And this is talking about God as being holy. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Each of you must respect his mother and father, and you must observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make gods of cast metal for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. When you sacrifice a fellowship offering to the Lord, sacrifice it in such a way that it will be accepted on your behalf. It shall be eaten on the day you sacrifice it, or on the next day. Anything left over to the third day must be burned. If any of it is eaten on the third day, it is impure and will not be accepted." Whoever eats it will be held responsible because it was desecrated what is holy to the Lord. That person must be cut off from the people. And so basically the thrust of this particular section here is God says, because I am holy, you also need to be holy people. And that's, that's really the essence of this particular uh, section here. Holiness simply means something that is unique or set apart. And obviously in this situation, it's set apart for God. God's holiness is about his character, his nature. It's what makes him unique and different than everything else, everyone else. The nature of God is holy. Holy is the characteristic of God, and God's holiness is the uniqueness and the absolute purity and goodness. And if we look at holiness, we see that holiness is referred to people, to places, to things, and even to times, and that God talks about things as being holy. And as I've said, in Leviticus, we talk about the fact that holiness is important. 150 times it talks about being holy in the book of Leviticus. You get the idea that God felt that holiness was important. And the reality is when we look at holiness in the book of Leviticus, we can see ritual holiness, so that was things to do with sacrifices and festivals that were celebrated to remember God and remember what God had done. There was social holiness, how we interact with other people, and how we treat those that are poor, how we treat those that are refugees, how we show justice to other people, all those things were important. And then there was the ethical holiness, just how we live our lives was important as well. All aspects of these things were important as far as God was concerned. 
So the key point in this particular section here is the fact that God is holy. And that because God is holy, he also desires us to be holy as well. And in the Old Testament time, the, the way that he was able to help them to know what it was to be holy was he gave them ways to live. He gave them certain sacrifices that they could offer. Sacrifices of thanks, sacrifices of saying I'm sorry. He also gave them feasts that they celebrated. And throughout the entire um, Jewish calendar, there was certain feasts that they would suffer, uh, celebrate at various times of the year that would help them to remember what God had done for them. He gave them different things about how they were to live because they were to be holy. He gave them the priesthood, and the priests were there specifically so that they could offer sacrifice on behalf of the people, and they could intercede for the people because it was important that a means was provided for these people to be holy. So as we see in this chapter in Leviticus, a holy God demands that his followers are holy. And the reality is that we think about ourselves today as Christians, the requirement to be holy hasn't changed. The means that we go about becoming holy and that we demonstrate holiness is significantly different. But in the same way that God has said he was holy and he wanted his people to be holy, is just as important to us today as Christians as what it was back in that particular time. Not through following all those laws like they had to do, but because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us and our holiness is accomplished through that. But the requirement is still the same. Secondly, we see the fact that we're to be holy in our relationships. And I guess this is one of those ones that, that really struck me as I was, um, have been reflecting upon this in terms of how concerned God was about the relationship of the nation of Israel with people, both other nations and also within the community itself. This is what it says in Leviticus uh, 9, uh, 19 verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes of the fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. Do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely for my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud your neighbour or rob him. Do not hold back the waves of a hired man overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbour fairly. Do not go about spreading slander about your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbour's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbour frankly so that you will not share in his guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love the Lord but love your neighbour as yourself, I am the Lord. You know, I often think about the Old Testament as more concerned about um, individual holiness and offering sacrifice and all those sorts of things, but an important part of uh, the Old Testament life was how they live with other people, how they live with those around them. And if you look at this list that we've just read there, it talks about the fact that we are to provide food for the poor and for the refugee. It talks about the fact that we're not to steal from our neighbour, Talks about the fact that we're not to lie. Talks about the fact that we're to pay people what is owed to them. 
it talks about the fact that we are to treat those with uh, disabilities, those of the deaf and blind, with respect and honour. There's a whole lot of things that are uh, in this particular section here that talk about how we are to respond and react to other people, how we are to live a life in such a way that our God is seen because of the way that we treat other people. And that was one of the critical things that is seen throughout the Old Testament as it emphasised here is the fact that it was critical that they understood that God was seen in the way that other people were treated. So it's important for us as well that we need to see the fact that we must treat other people in the same way that we have been treated by God. God has shown us grace and kindness. He loves us unconditionally. And he says that we are to show that same sort of love and kindness to those that are neighbours around us as well. Those within our church community, those within our wider community. As Christians today, we should be characterised by those that, are, that love one another. As Christ has loved us, so we too should love other people. So, and this isn't just an Old Testament concept. It was one that was presented right back here in Leviticus. The fact that we are to treat our neighbours with respect. We are to love our neighbours. Those of the disadvantaged, those of the poor, we are to show kindness to them as well. It's critical that we do those things. And thirdly, it talks about the fact that we're to be holy in our actions. And so this, really this whole second part of Leviticus 19 talks about a whole lot of things in regards to the actions that the nation was to be involved in doing. And it gives a whole lot of different examples. I'm not going to go through all of this because there's a whole lot of interesting things, but I'll just read a couple of examples. Can you put up the next slide? Um, so here's some things here. It says uh, in verse 19, Keep my decrees. Do not make different kinds of animals. Do not plant your fields with two kinds of seed. Do not wear clothing woven of two materials. Then it says, do not eat any meat with the blood still in it. Do not practice divination or sorcery. Do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip it off the edges of your beard. Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. So you can see there's a whole lot of all sorts of interesting things. And next page as well. Oh no, I didn't put that one up, so go back. Um, so you can see there, there's a whole lot of different ways that people were to live. And like I said, I don't want to get involved in all the details as far as that's concerned, but what I do want us to think about is the fact that as far as God was concerned, he was concerned about the way that we lived lives. He was concerned that we lived pure lives. And he gave us a whole lot of specific ways that they could do that in that particular time, because that was what was required by God at that particular time. Some of those things uh, seem a bit strange to us. And uh, the experts have gone into all sorts of reasons about why these things were there and why these things weren't there and things like that. The reality is we don't really know why God chose some of these particular things in regards to what was required. But what we do know is the reason for these things was so that God's people could live holy lives and live in a way that was going to honour God. And that's the critical thing that is important there. So these religious practices, these ritual Purities and moral purities that were involved there were all about being right before God. They were important as far as that is concerned. That God is the one that requires these things because he wants his people to live holy lives and to live in purity with him. And the reality is that these rituals were ways that people knew about God and their relationship with God. And the reality is, as Christians, we're probably not very good at rituals. 
But I think that actually rituals can be quite helpful in terms of helping us to understand God and develop our relationship with God. You know, the reality is we have a ritual of meeting every Sunday together as, as a community to worship God together. And by doing that, it helps us to be able to connect with God and develop patterns around God and, and relating to God. We do communion every week as well. And that's one of those rituals that we do that helps us to remember God in our lives and the fact that he is important in our lives. Um, what about some of the things that we might do in our personal lives as well? We might read the Bible on a daily basis. Again, a ritual that we develop to help us grow in our relationship with God and help us understand God better. We spend daily time in prayer. Again, the ritual that's involved in these things. So these rituals help us to be able to understand a bit about God and to be able to know who God is and to be able to worship God in the appropriate way. So some of these rituals that the Old Testament people were expected to do in regards to their practice, I think we can pick up some of the Christian rituals as well, reading the scriptures, praying together, celebrating communion together, singing songs together, are some of the ways that we can express our devotion to God and can express our love for God in the same way that they did those things. So as you can see there from those three points, God is holy and he demands that we are holy as well. Secondly, God demands that we are holy in the relationships that we have. And thirdly, he expects us to be holy in the actions and the things that we do. And so when it comes to us understanding Leviticus in the way that it applies to us today, I've said it before, but I just want to make it very clear. I'm not expecting that you go home and obey the rules that are in Leviticus. But what I am expecting you to do is think about these big picture things here. God is holy, and he wants us as Christians to live holy lives. God is holy, and he wants us to have relationships that are going to honor him in the way that we live with other people. And God is holy, and he desires us to live our lives in such a way that our actions are going to honor God in all the things that we do. So as Christians today, we don't need to offer sacrifices of any sort. As Christians, we don't need to celebrate the feasts that were offered in the Old Testament times. And we don't need to obey all of these rituals. Because as Christians, we have been saved by grace alone. And because of what Christ has done for us. But we can learn a lot about God from Leviticus. For us today, God has not changed. He's still holy, and he still desires us to be holy. But what has changed is how we do become holy. You know, we, don't any, we don't, no longer need to practice those rituals to become holy before God. But what we do do is we come before a holy God through Jesus Christ and through what he has accomplished for us. We don't have to have priests that intercede for us and offer sacrifices on our behalf. The reality is that your church staff here are not priests they are not needed because it talks about the fact that because of what Christ has done, that we are priests, that we can access God directly through Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ has done for us. We don't need to live morally pure lives so that we will be okay with God, but because we are okay with God, our desire is to live lives that will honour him in all that we do. 
You know, one of my favourite Christian books is a book called The Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges, and I've got a quote that hopefully will come up from that book. Um, I read this book when I was a, a fairly new Christian, and it's one that I keep coming back to on a regular basis because it just reminds me of lots of things, and, and I just love the way that Jerry Bridges talks about what it means to live a God-honouring life. This is what he says. God has called every Christian to a holy life. There are no exceptions to this call. It's not a call only the pastors, missionaries, and a few dedicated Sunday school teachers. Every Christian of every nation, whether rich or poor, learned or unlearned, influential or totally unknown, is called to be holy. The Christian plumber and the Christian banker, the unsung homemaker and the powerful head of state are all alike called to be holy. The call to holy life is based on the fact that God himself is holy. Holiness is nothing less than conformity to the character of God. So the reality is in Leviticus we learned about the fact that God wanted the nation of Israel to be holy and to live holy lives. And he wants us today, as Christians, to live holy lives as well. And what I want to do is I just want to give you three just simple practical examples from Leviticus in terms of what it means to live holy lives. So hopefully those will appear up there soon. So three lessons from Leviticus. Firstly, God cares about our worship. God is holy and he wants us to be holy so that we can worship him. All of our thoughts and our actions are to be directed to God and we are to worship him alone with all our heart. God wanted the Israelites to worship him and he provided a way to do that. That's one of the reasons we gather today as, as believers is it's an opportunity to worship God. But it's not just what we do on a Sunday. We can worship God in lots of things that we do throughout our week. It's important to see the fact that God cares about us and he cares about our worship. Secondly, God cares about our personal holiness. The reality is, is God is concerned about the way that we live our lives. He's concerned about the way that we live our no lives not in terms of whether we will or won't get into heaven, because that is something that is accomplished through Jesus' death upon the cross. But he doesn't save us just so that we can carry on living the way that we used to live our lives. He saves us so that we can be transformed and that we can be different. We're not to focus on the main rules, but we are to focus on living lives that will honour God and give him glory. So it's the whole cause and effect type thing. It's because we are Christians... We are, therefore, to live lives that will honour God. And thirdly, I think a real practical example is that God cares about our relationships with others. As Christians, we, above and beyond anyone else, should be characterised as those that love other people and it's demonstrated in the way that we live our lives. And that can be done in a whole lot of different ways. But we are to live well with other people because it shows the genuineness of our faith and it shows other people about the God that we serve. Our relationship with God affects us and it affects the way that we relate to other people. One of the characteristics of the nation of Israel was the way that they lived with the nations around them. More so for us as Christians, we should be known as those that live well with other people. It's important that we do that. So I don't want to discourage you from the reading of the book of Leviticus. So if you're reading through the Bible this year, please keep with it. But what I do want you to do when you get into Leviticus is take the big picture view. Take the view of the fact that this te teaches us about God. Don't get lost in the details. Don't get lost in all the rules and regulations that God did require of the Israelites. But reflect upon the holiness of God. Reflect upon the fact that God is completely different than anything else. He is completely pure and holy by his very character. 
reflect upon the fact that he wants us to live well with other people and that he wants us to live lives that are going to be holy as well. And I think most importantly, and if we had time, we would go through other chapters in Leviticus, the reason that we are holy. In Leviticus, there's a long section that talks about the Day of Atonement, the fact that when the people were made right before God. But for us as Christians, we are atoned, we are made right before God, not because of our obedience to all these rules, but simply because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Jesus Christ died for our sins upon the cross. He was raised from the dead. And that because of that, we are right before God. And as a Christian community, today we can celebrate communion together. So in a moment, we're going to go and we're going to partake in the bread and the wine. And as you think about the bread and the wine, thank God that you no longer have to come to the temple and offer sacrifices to make yourself right before God. But be thankful that Christ has accomplished it all for us, that his death upon the cross means that through um, a simple remembrance feast, we can once again remember what he has done for us. But it also means, as followers of Christ that we are empowered through the Spirit of God to be able to live lives that will honour God so that we can be the people that he would want us to be. So as you go and take communion, remember what Christ has done for us, but also think about how you can live a life that is going to honour God in your personal holiness and in the way that you relate to other people. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for the fact that you are a holy God. And I thank you that we can be holy before you, not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for us upon the cross. And Father, now as we go and we take this cup, as we eat this bread, may we remember once again the sacrifice you made for us, the atonement of our sins, through Jesus Christ's death upon the cross. Father, help us to be thankful again for that, but also help us to live a life that would honour you in all that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.